Hello and welcome. My name is Caitlin, and I'm the host of Beauty is Eternal, the art of being your best self for women. Today's episode is called Portrait of the Artist as a Young Woman, an interview with Maria Nitulescu. Many people secretly dream of becoming an artist, but they never actually dare to try, and few who dare to try ultimately succeed. Our story today takes place in Berlin, a city known for its burgeoning artistic scene, attracting myriads of people from around the world to check out the galleries, exhibitions, and parties that occur every week. Thanks to low rents and the encouragement of creativity, would-be artists have been flocking to the city for years to try and achieve fame and acclaim. Maria Netulescu was born in Romania and currently lives in Berlin. She is one of the few artists to have successfully transitioned from someone with a dream of being an artist into someone who actually gets invited to exhibit her artwork and to curate events, as well as write articles for magazines and lecture at universities. Her artwork has been exhibited in and she has curated events around the world, including Romania, Germany, Austria, Italy, the UK, Egypt, and more. She focuses on modern art, especially painting and sculpture. We are interviewing Maria to understand what inspired her to become an artist and curator, what brought her to Berlin, and how she has worked to make a name for herself across Europe. And what is their day-to-day life like once you have quote-unquote made it? What setbacks has she had to overcome, and how did she do it? We will find all that and more out right now. Maria, thank you so much for being my guest. Let's start from the beginning. How old were you when you knew that you wanted to be an artist and how did you know? Yeah, first of all, thank you for inviting me. It's my honor. And how did I know? Like, um, I I think growing up, I kind of knew that I wanted to be that, but also I started doing art from a very early age. I had the luck to have an art teacher in the school where where I was going and where my mother was a teacher too and one day she had no one to leave me home with. Uh, I was three years old and she took me with her in school and I was disturbing her classes so she took me to this art club in the school where she was teaching and um, um, she left me there. She asked the teacher if I could join but also she told her like to let her know if I make any trouble and she'll come and pick me up. And I didn't do any trouble. I just went there and just started drawing. And the world was only mine in my on my paper. And that was it. And so my teacher uh, noticed that, yeah, I'm interested in art. And she thought I also gifted. And she told my mother she should bring me whenever she wants, even every day if, if is the case. And that's what had happened. So um, from that day on, I started joining the art club every single day from the age of three um, and I would spend a lot of hours uh, five even five hours a day drawing and painting and even later when I started school um, I would go after classes I would go to the art club every single day and then I would go home and do my homeworks so somehow I just grew up with this I just didn't see anything else like any other possibility for me also, during classes, like for example, I would get a test paper in maths in particular. I was never good in maths and I didn't like it. And I remember I one, at one time I was, I think, seven, eight, more or less, and I didn't know what to do anymore on my test paper. So I did everything I could and then I didn't want to get bored. And so I just turned the page around and I started drawing. And my teacher was yeah somehow disappointed and um she for her that was a lack of respect and i still remember that she told my mother i'm disrespectful because i draw on the mathis papers how did your mother react to that um yeah i think i was very lucky as well to have a great mother um with i don't know great understanding because she always encouraged me to do what i like and 
Oh, she always believed in this freedom of creativity. I think she was encouraging her pupils as well to be creative in her as a class teacher. And yeah, I, I don't, I don't remember any judgment or anything like that from her side. I mean, I was, I can't remember that much. I still remember that incident, but not everything. But I don't remember any judgment from her side. So it sounds to me like drawing was one of the first things you realized that you loved. Was it all kinds of artwork? Was it drawing and something else specifically? I mean, drawing was the f something I had there. I had the paper and the pencils. And later on in our club, I had the possibility to paint as well. But at home, because my mother noticed actually that um, if she would give me a pile of of papers, I would just let her do her things in the house because otherwise she told me I would just come after her all the time. And uh, so yeah, I think that was um, um, a matter of materials, what I had there, what I had in my hand. So yeah, I guess if I would have had something else, I believe I would have just, I don't know, used that something you else. Use anything. <laughs> yeah, to express myself probably. And when, when did it transition for you from being something you loved doing as a child to something where you thought, hey, actually, I could do this my whole life and make a career of this? Mm. So first of all, I, I in Romania, when you finish the eighth grade, uh, you have to decide which way you're taking. Like you can go, you have to go to the high school. And in Romania, we have these art high schools too, where you get intensive training in arts but you have to pass an admission exam which is not easy and they are not in every city these high schools and in the one in Bucharest is the most or back then was the most known one or the best one somehow and uh, my parents at the time when I had to take the step were not living in Bucharest anymore were like in a town three hours from Bucharest so that was the point when I told my parents that if they don't let me go there, like to that high school, I will give up totally. <laughs> or I would rather go to a normal high school life for everyone and give up on art or something like that. And I insisted so much, and I had to move to Bucharest without my parents How to live with my you? aunt. Fourteen or fifteen? I was thirteen. Oh so my that goodness. was when I. That's like, and my mother. Uh, yeah, she was totally okay with it. My father not, so she had to convince my father that this is what I wanted to do. My mother took me to some private classes to prepare for that exam because, as I said, it was not easy to get admitted. Tell me about the exam. Uh, so yeah, for one year I was just traveling to Bucharest like every single month or even twice a month to, to prepare. And then um, I, um, we had like admission for drawing, painting, and sculpture, so to, to test in three different days, I still remember that, and, um, and I remember that after that test, in high school, one of my colleagues was making fun of me, that I was about to take his eyes out with my <laughs> pencil, I was measuring the um, still nature, because <laughs> you can take the measures, actually, with the pencil. <laughs> yeah, I passed the exam, I, I got admitted, and yeah, everything was good, but it was, um, yeah, it was, I was very nervous back then, it was a test, it was an exam, it was, I wanted to get in, like, it was something very important to me. Wow, so it seems like Romania really has a system where they encourage people, when they're fairly young, to actually decide that they want to be artists. Yeah, and that's actually a very good thing. There's also there are also music high schools, so that's the best part about the Romanian education because there are so many down parts, but this is one of the greatest parts because I think that's missing in other countries, where somewhere where you can get a training from an early age, and maybe not all of the pupils will want to become artists or will want to do that after, but I think still it offers you a great possibility to educate yourself in arts. Maybe do something else later, like I remember I had the classmate back then, she chose to do sculpture because she wanted to become a very good um, not a dentist, but like a technician, where because you need to understand a lot the anatomy and of the human body and to work a lot with these shapes for, for teeth. I don't know exactly <laughs> I, 
what she was gonna do after but I remember that that was important for her so she knew that she was preparing for that in an art high school oh that's very interesting and I know that you actually went on to study in Italy and Germany can you tell me a little bit about those experiences so yeah um, um, after I finished high school I, I continued my studies in Romania the first two years and I wasn't happy at all like my first year was one of the most unhappiest years of my life I think um, after this transition from a high school I had an amazing teacher and artist who encouraged us to to think uh, about what we're doing to think free to create in university I felt like um, I was totally discouraged and also, the admissions process in Romania back then was very problematic, very untransparent. I don't know how it is nowadays. I hope it something changed and better, but maybe not that much. And so, from the day I got in, I told myself I need to leave this place as soon as possible. So, I worked for that. Like, um, I, d I didn't want to be there anymore. <laughs> So you went to Italy? Yeah, but it was a process where I had to be there because I applied for Erasmus. I couldn't just move like that. And I, and uh, the Erasmus Erasmus uh, scholarship actually, I had to to win this scholarship as well because uh, it was a selection process. Offered me a great possibility to make this transition because I don't believe that would have been easier otherwise. Just. You know, it's just a new city, you get just admitted to a new university where you don't speak the language because I couldn't speak Italian when I moved to Italy at all. I've learned there. I've learned Italian there as an Erasmus student and then it felt like paradise for me being in an art academy where I understood you can do other things in the field of art, like communication for art, something we didn't have in Romania, like um, a hybrid uh, study program, so to say. And this is what I told myself. This is what I want. What I want to do. This is what I want to do now. Communication for arts. And I knew I had to learn Italian as well as possible, as fast as possible, to be able to get my admission, to pass my admission test in autumn. So that was like summer. I finished my. I took my degree, and then in autumn it was. September, I think. I don't. September, October. Like I had to take this exam. And I got admitted. And I stayed there for three years in total. And then then after that, I moved to Germany. Well, Italy is one of the places in the world best known for its artwork, actually. How do you think living there influenced your artwork? I think every place where you live gives you some information. You have a baggage that you go with, like, you carry with you in the end. It's cultural baggage which is going to influence your your aesthetics and perceiving aesthetics like in Italy actually they even had the program which was called visual culture so I call it visual culture so of course I think everything is beautiful there somehow it's just was just inspiring and especially studying at Brera the Academy of Art Brera which is also a museum was basically studying the museum was going every day into a museum it was just amazing sounds like a dream for an artist yeah actually when I got a scholarship um, Italy was not my first choice that was a funny thing it was like what was your first choice uh, was Spain because back then I could speak Spanish well and I thought okay let's choose a country where I can speak the language and second was Netherlands and last choice was Italy because I thought anyway they don't give you last choice and it had had the university had to have the program that would fit to the program I was in in Romania and when I got the scholarship I just remember actually the first time I visited Milano that I went to the Brera this district and I saw the Pinacoteca di Brera and the academy and I told myself, oh my god, what a beautiful place, this place is amazing, how it be like to study here must be amazing and I just remember that, actually when I got the scholarship, when I was 12 I had these questions in my mind and it's interesting how you can answer these questions later in your life, these questions that somehow were forgotten and I just remember them when the things happened actually. It seems like you had a really amazing experience in Italy. 
why didn't you stay there when you finished with your university, with your Erasmus? Why did you actually go to Berlin then? So yeah, it was a good experience to study there, but at the end of my studies, um, I realized that the political situation and economical situation was not best in Italy. It was like the f- this financial crisis and and I didn't want to stay to struggle, to be honest. And I thought, okay, I'm still young, I need to learn more and I want to take the next step. And I wasn't happy somehow anymore. So after I completed that, I felt like I need something more. I didn't know exactly what and probably I was just looking for a new challenge. I don't know. I just felt like I wanted to leave badly. And I did it. I did it so fast. It was the fastest move I ever did in my life. I remember even now that I I was looking for a job because I wanted to have a job in the beginning. Just not just come just like that. And then I had an interview on Skype and um, on August 15th in 2014, I, I received a call that they would give me the job. And then I had to start on the 1st of September. And I was in Romania in vacation, on holidays, and I had all my stuff in Italy. So I had to fly back, empty my apartment. I emptied my apartment for days. I managed to get someone to ship all my things to Romania with. I bought my ticket and I was in Berlin just like that three days. I bought my ticket when I managed to ship all the things because I wasn't sure which day I would just manage to ship them out. Sounds and like it I happened very quickly, five years ago, almost exactly five years ago. More than five years, actually. No, it's 2013 or... So yeah, six yeah. years ago. So yeah, that's it was crazy and I somehow I feel guilty about that move as well because I didn't get to say goodbye to anyone. <laughs> I just like told, you know. You can I go move. back now and say goodbye. I know, <laughs> so I know, I, I did it afterwards, but you know, can you imagine that like <laughs> it's just you pack everything and just disappear <laughs> like it's like um was a lot of courage, I think, for my side, but it was. Yeah, I wanted very so brave. badly to just to move on, and I know also the moment when I decided I'm gonna do that was the last day after I finished all my exams. I was going back home. I was sitting in a tram beside a colleague, and what I want to mention is that in this program, I was the only one who who was a who, the only foreigner student. All my colleagues were Italian. Also because it was a communication department, you had to speak very well Italian. To write was not so easy for me, especially in the first year. So she, I was asking her, so what are you about to do? You're going to finish your studies. What are you planning to do? And she was telling me, oh, well, to get a job in this supermarket, just to put money together to be able to move to Brussels, where my sister lives, because... You can find a job in the cultural field, like it's so terrible. And she was telling me, then I was like, oh my God, like thinking that's so bad. And I was thinking, now I have some money apart because I had the scholarship in Italy. While I was studying, I had a scholarship. And they don't give you the scholarship from the first year. So I had to figure out to, uh, to live in the first year and how without did you the scholarship. Do that? I was tutoring. I was tutoring after classes and that's how I managed to pay my rent and everything and yeah after that I got the scholarship also because unfortunately I didn't have such a great support from home back then I just managed to find a way to stay there and support myself and in the last year I had the scholarship that I received in the second year and I thought okay I have this money it's like gambling, you know, what do you do with this money now? You have to invest in your future because I don't want to get to the point where maybe I won't earn enough or I won't, it won't be enough for me to move because you need money when you move to a new place. You definitely need to have at least, I don't know, 3,000 in my opinion there in your, on, our, on your account. And when this colleague of mine told me that she's gonna work in a supermarket after studying so much for one year to put money together. I said, oh my god, I have money now? Now I have to move. Next step. <laughs> so that was the moment when, you know, when you have like flashbacks and 
was within that seconds. That was your inspiration. You realized I've got to make it happen now or yeah, never. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I don't know what would have happened. I already had the job. Although was part time was in the field of art, so I knew it won't be satisfying for me. Uh, because Milano is super expensive, and still I was in a very good position. If I have had to compare myself to my colleagues that were graduating and the perspective was to work, work in, in a, a supermarket, supermarket. Yeah. after studying like also my colleague had studied art history before in Statale um, it's called uh, also a good university state university in Milano and for me it was like no I don't want to do that like no way I can do more I deserve more and I was like now I have to move on and <laughs> whatever it takes like to move on this is what I did and did you always have in mind, I want to go to Berlin, Berlin's good for the art scene? Was it the first artistic city where you got a job? How, how did that work out? How did it align that you, that you came to Berlin of all places? Well, that was, uh, was, that's a good story, which I don't want to go into very detailed because it's quite personal. So I had the Berlin connection, which happened in the period when I was also not happy anymore, thinking what would be my next step. And this Berlin connection helped me actually to choose Berlin because I wasn't even sure where I wanted to go exactly. And I wanted so badly to take Berlin and to choose Berlin. And so it, also it happened, like, you know, I got the job. I applied like, for jobs for four days or something like that, you know. And after four days, I had this interview and I got the job. So it was like meant to be. So I moved, I moved here. And it was not easy in the beginning because I couldn't speak German. I didn't know anyone actually. <laughs> it was like an adventure in a way. So it was your second time moving to another country where you didn't speak the language and mm -hmm. you had to figure it out. And I know you, you do speak fluent Italian and you do speak fluent German. So that's pretty amazing that you were able to learn both languages once you moved to the country. Yeah, I mean, it took me a while to learn German, which Italian was pretty fast because as Romanian, it's easier for me to learn Latin. Italian is also an easier yeah. language. With German was, wow, it's still, I, I'm still learning, like, <laughs> was, um, was like, I, I, I think I was blocked actually in the beginning, I couldn't speak for a long time and I was very suppressing as well because language and communication and communicating, it's super important to me. Maybe also that's what it gave me gave me this ambition to to want to learn a language and then um, later I also applied for a master's program here at the University of Arts Berlin UDK, uh, which is called Art in Context, where where you needed to speak the language to have at least a B1 certificate. Uh, you needed to have work experience in the fields of art for this master's because it's more like a postgraduate program. It's not a typical master. And art in context about art related to other social contexts and how you can uh, develop yourself as a professional in the fields of art. Sounds very practical. Yeah, but, well, we'll I'll tell you more about, uh, about it after. I'll tell you a bit about how I managed to get in with my zero German skills because it was... That's what it was for me, zero German skills. <laughs> and I had an interview as well, which I had to pass. So first thing was uh, putting in a portfolio and um, then they choose if, if you suit for the, for the interview. And I had to prepare all the possible questions, all the possible answers with a friend of mine who already studied there and she helped me out and um, to build the answers in German. So I had a list. And luckily at the interview, all <laughs> the questions were on my list. Did and you learn the answers by heart? Well, not by heart, but like I kind of knew you have like a clue about what to answer because my when when you are on the stress situation and you don't master a language, it can be like a total block. And actually they asked me something at the end where I wasn't sure if I would understand it right or not. and. And yeah, and after that question, they told me, okay, you can leave the room. And was like the fourth question I was like, oh, they told me to leave the room. Oh, it's over. So in my head, that was over. I just thought I didn't get admitted. <laughs> that was very funny because afterwards, after like two months, I received the letter that I got admitted 
And I didn't expect that because I thought, okay, the commission told me to leave the room, but they did tell you to leave the room, but I thought it was just after four questions. That's I think they were so impressed by your German preparedness. <laughs> They're like, this girl, this girl knows her answers already. She's practically a German. All she's going to oh, no, take no, her. Not at all. I mean, I don't think so. But the thing is, were questions, of course, I expect in a way, like, well, my projects I did before cause was were very relate, related to my work and also to literature in the field to, I don't know, things that I guess they would ask me. Very but yeah, that was very important, this preparation, because I didn't get to the point where I would be like blocked and I was like, uh, 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 now what will I say? Like, I don't know how to say this. <laughs> And also the program is in German, so they were expecting you to at least have a minimal understanding of minimal questions. <laughs> yeah, I also did my master's degree in Berlin in German, and at first my German wasn't wasn't great, so I was really struggling the, the first semester because I couldn't understand all of what was happening in my courses. But fortunately, with a little hard work and time, I was able to get it, and it was just one semester where I was sitting in classes pretty embarrassed. I was like, oh, I hope they don't ask me questions because I don't know how to answer. So you've been there too. I've been know? there. I know what that feels like. <laughs> it's pretty intimidating. Yeah, and, and can be frustrating too because, um, yeah, once I remember one of our colleagues said in the first semester, first year even, uh, said, oh, you have so many ideas to share, but like such a pity you don't say them in class. And I was like, I can't say them. Can't express myself. Yeah, properly. I, I, yeah, exactly. So it took me a while. Now finally, I feel confident. I'm about to finish the masters now and writing my thesis in German. And finally, I got to that point where I can tell things and um, and was a lot because of, of of being there because I throw myself. And it's, you know, like I knew I will make it in the end somehow. You're a hard worker. Um, yeah, I think I'm not a hard worker unless I do what I really like. I think that's the most important thing. Actually, I think I'm, I can, my brain can just refuse things somehow, like math. Like, just was, like, I was not made for that somehow. I don't know. You know, but I believe also my brain kind of refuses, like, I think I can be very stubborn, so it's very important for me to do things I like and also to feel encouraged to do them. I think it was also very important for me to have people around me who believed in me. Of course, there are also those who didn't believe in me and gave me bad advices, bad words, certain points in my life, but I knew how to get over it and I always took the positive part and the positive energy and the positive people in my life because I had tons of luck in terms of that. I had really great people in my life help me. So now I want to hear a little bit more about your time in Berlin, about the kind of artwork you were doing when you first arrived, what you were focusing on, how it's changed over the years, and what you're focusing on at the moment. Like, How would you describe your style when you came to Berlin in 2013? What, what, what was it like then? Yeah, I think it. Uh, I developed. I think it's also about maturity when you start to understand more about yourself. And I think also your perspective on art changes. And you learn more. You see a lot. This is a city where you can get really inspired because some of the best artists in the world came to Berlin and live here. So that was very important for me, having contact with other artists. And um, in the first six months, I couldn't do anything. I, I was super blocked, <laughs> actually. This time of transition was a time of transition for me in the beginning, was um, of adapting myself and uh, it blocked me also, not creatively, I would say emotionally somehow. So I had to get over this and get myself to work. And also I started here, I started doing independent projects as a curator and I realized how much I like it and that I can just step totally into it because of of the fact that I like to work with other artists, to communicate, to organize things, to put my ideas together also in a different way. I mean, I curated also projects in, in Italy as well, but was always working uh, in, in groups for in institutions. It was more collaboration where you had to give up sometimes 
and compromise on your ideas when you work in a group of people. But now I'm really happy at this point to do my own projects the way I want. And also in terms of ours to uh, have the chance to experiment more and more and to develop myself. Also to experiment with new with new mediums, like sound, for example. <laughs> this is like my latest thing that I'm working on. This makes me grow all the time, finding, documenting myself, working on things I like, on things I'm interested in. Uh, I, I read a lot and I do a lot of research. I'm very interested in philosophy and psychology. I think this has a lot to do with what I do or if, or the, I, that informs my work often or influences my work. The information I read, I find out, like I try to translate them in my own language or this idea that I get also from what I read. And um, because I know you personally, I know you're very into sometimes deconstructing books. I've even seen <laughs> you cut them apart and use them in your artwork. Yeah, somehow I thought about also about this consumerist idea and how books just get on the street but are meant for people to read them. And most of the books are in German, so... Now I do get to understand German, but imagine the point where for me it was just like aesthetically was an aesthetic itself because I couldn't understand, I couldn't read that. So at that point I started experimenting a bit and working with the books and papers of books as purely aesthetic background or material for me, regardless the meaning of the words. Well, there. if you can't understand the meaning, maybe it's ancient poetry, could be Yeah, anything. exactly. I mean, uh, now I understand too, but in the beginning when I started doing that, I had no clue. And so it's also about playing with this aesthetical part of, of writing and meaning, because it's always a, it's a double, double mirror there. Double mirror, double-edged sword. Yeah. Where do you primarily do your work? I understand you have a studio. Do you go to the studio every day to do your work? Do you find yourself doing work at home? H how does how does that work out for you? Well, it depends on what I do. If um, I have just very small work to do, and I would just maybe wake up and just start working straight ahead at home. But I try uh, to be disciplined as well and to go to the studio because I do have a studio. And I think it's important to have also the a separation between private life somehow or and, and work because in the arts anyway it gets to overlap there's no border clear, anymore there's no clear division there's no clear division and I'm trying to be a bit more organized in terms of that and I'm still working on it because sometimes I find myself working at four in the morning and still you know like because I'm a night uh, owl as well I work a lot during the night and once I feel like in, I'm in that mood, I can stop <laughs> as well. <laughs> but I think the studio is very important because it's like your sacred space where you feel protected, where you feel your own environment. And that's what I wanted to have as well. So going back to what you said about the division between private life and professional life for an artist, I know you go to a lot of events, for instance, in the evening, you go to a lot of exhibitions and openings and talks and galleries and this type of thing. Is it important for an artist to go see what other artists are doing to be on the on the art scene, do you think? I think this is something very personal because some artists don't believe that they necessarily have to see a lot, but I believe it's important to have this exchange of, of communication, of ideas, of seeing, especially because I curate uh, that's something that makes it very important for me to see the art because you don't get it from Instagram. If people believe that, that's a trap. You don't get art from Instagram. You have to go and see it or from internet, like just to see because there is this tendency now with the possibilities of social media to have the right booth, like the galleries, like for sales, the right booth for Instagram, the right thing for whatever. No, art is about seeing, experiencing, uh, experience like you have to to feel it as well and you won't it won't happen through internet so get your ass there and see it <laughs> and uh, communicate with your peers and like that's what actually i like about berlin because there's a community here you build a community it's something i didn't have in romania something i didn't have in italy i think that's what actually keeps me here 
I feel I have friends here, friends in the art. Like I don't feel like it's my competition somehow. I'm happy, you know, to share this beautiful and maybe struggling moments sometimes with with people that I can feel I can really share with. Of course, you have to understand how the art system works because no one actually tells you during your know, classes. How does it work? Tell us. Well, first of all, you have to go out and see. Like, you won't find out if you don't move out of, of your studio, of your comfort zone. Because <laughs> it's uh, getting out, is some, for some artists, maybe it's uh, getting out of your comfort zone. Where you're a bit more exposed even physically, I don't know. So, yeah, there are things you don't find out in university or no one will really tell you exactly how it works. You have to figure it out. Do you think that going and seeing what other artists are doing is good for inspiration for you? Are there any particular artists in Berlin that you really get inspired by where you see their stuff and you're like, oh my god, I have the best idea? Well, first of all, in my opinion, creativity is not the same with being original. And being creative, it's a lot of time gathering information and putting this information in a new way, creating new ideas, new situations. So, of course, it's important to see what others did, first of all, for documentation, because otherwise you will find yourself as an artist believing I'm the first one who did it. Oh my God, I'm the unicorn. And then there are other 5,000 there who did the same or things like that. Like, there, you have to be naive to believe that maybe you're the only person who ever did something you always have to check out and I think this is important nowadays because I see for example what is funny for me some because I take a look on what's going on uh, in, in on the art scene in Romania and I see some artists who just repeat things and I say didn't he or she look at what's going on in the world now you there's internet nowadays it's not a communist country anymore it's not closed like just take a look like document yourself don't repeat like don't copy basically do you think that they're unaware that they're copying other people some are unaware and some are aware which I don't know which one is worse because it's still naive to do both <laughs> like this is not something that is gonna make you successful copying no no or uh, recycling ideas. No, I think, and even if, for example, if you use someone else's ideas, like for example, I worked with an artist for an exhibition, not only one, but like one of the artists I worked with, Gregor Hildebrand. He got inspired from a Romanian artist, Constantin Brancus, and um, he gives credits to the inspiration, like he says, this was important to me and why, and he shows what he is doing new with it as well. Like, also, this is also very important, like giving credits, giving credits. So am I correct that one way to draw the line between being inspired by another artist and copying the other artist is saying, for instance, this work was inspired by the work of this person. Yeah, and, but obviously you have to do something new. It can't be the like same. You have can, to put yeah. a twist on it. Yeah, exactly. Or do it differently. But yeah, I think that's very important because that's like honesty. This is being honest. And as an artist, you have to be honest. If you're not honest, then you lie yourself and you try to, I mean, you try to lie other people, but you lie yourself too. Like, you're just a puppet. <laughs> Just saying, I mean, I'm a bit cruel now saying that, but that, that's what I believe. Like, Can you give me, tell me, tell me about a time that you used someone else's artwork for inspiration? That you were inspired by somebody? Like, when was the last time you saw something and you're like, oh my god, that, that changes the way I understand something. That changes my perception of it. I cannot give you an example now, but I think there's always things that will inspire me. Oh, the last time I... I had a different perception on 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 performance. Actually, it was uh, in Udeka when I had the workshop, performance workshop, and I think I never understood performance well enough before I did this workshop, and it was very inspiring for me. It's not that I'm gonna start doing performance now, no, but I was there for five hours, immersed in this um, performance guided by uh, an artist, Inga, and I forgot her last name, unfortunately. I loved her. It's, uh, it's a shame that I can't remember her last name now. 
And I felt at the end of the workshop while I was performing using my body, uh, we had the music in the background, she was guiding us how to imagine things, like to perform somehow things that we would feel, we would think. It felt like I was there for 15 minutes or something like that. Wow. I couldn't believe it. I was there moving, using my body for five hours, actually. Wow. And it felt like 15 minutes to me. It was amazing. I was so absorbed. And that kind of... That was very powerful to me. And it changed my perception on, on performing. And performance art on performing. And how your body is so connected to your mind and vice versa. And how you can be so absorbed and course if you feel like that speaks to you you speak to the medium and do you think that that's something you're going to carry over into your artwork in the future going forward i don't know i didn't get to that point where to use that as i said is this doesn't mean i'm going to become a performance artist or anything but you never know i i'm not excluding anything i'm open to possibilities and i think i'm open to the right moment as well because i think i always feel when there's something I can use or not or I don't know I feel ready somehow just feel it (laughs) (laughs) at the moment how many exhibitions are you doing a year usually and how does how does the process actually work like let's say that you have an idea you want to do an exhibition somewhere what's the actual process of having the idea having the discussion realizing it how does it work well, sometimes it can be a very fast process, sometimes longer, de- sometimes longer, depends. Like, for example, I'm preparing an exhibition, maybe, as you know already, for a museum. I'm not going to go into details. It's not in Berlin. And the process was a bit longer also because although it's quite a big museum, they don't have maybe a lot of financial possibilities. And then I have to find my way how to do it as well, not... I have the idea, but how do I implement that idea? What do I need for that? Uh, there are so many technical, I wouldn't call them issues, but aspects and uh, also about regulations, like uh, is it dangerous for the visitors or not, or things like that. But I'm also preparing curatorial projects already for next year, and I'm in the whole process. And uh, first of all, as an artist, you have to be invited by someone to exhibit. It's not that you just you can't just go up to a museum and say oh I have the Uh, no 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 that's a word like that always so you have to yeah find a way to get in there so the only possibilities when you don't get invited is to apply for open calls and then you have to pass the selection process but if not like usually get invited also I that's what I do when I create shows I invite the artists I want to work with and I have a specific idea and then I look for a specific artist for that idea or like Traveling, because I travel a lot as well, I see a lot, and then I always collect this information with artists I think are interesting, I always put them on the list. Or if I have a topic that I'm interested in... Do you have a list of artists that you really like, that you'd like to... Yeah, maybe artists I I don't know well, so then I don't want to remember them, to check up on them better, or put them on that list. Yeah, I do have. I have. What's the name of your list? (laughs) Interesting artists. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting for me, obviously. I do have files where I store my information, so my computer is very valuable too because it has <laughs> all of this information on it. And I have, uh, I don't know, a file where I keep... When I go to exhibitions, sometimes maybe... I don't know if you always can find those texts you get there online, but those that I really liked, or maybe even the design, I keep the text, you know, with the artist so I can remember. So I have a file, not only digital, but also... <laughs> physical where I store them so this is my information because I always remember what I see but sometimes I'm like oh what was the name of that artist I can't remember now I just go back to my file and I check out and it's easy no I have to be organized too (laughs) and how how long would it take let's say that you get invited by a curator to show an art piece at an event How, how long does it actually take between the first discussion to when it happens, is it a six-month timeline, a one-year timeline? As I said, it depends really on where you do It can happen very fast. It can take one year because, especially with institutions, is planning. It takes longer. Yes, you have to plan one year in advance. It's not like a gallery where they're a bit more flexible. Institutional shows are always a bit more complicated because of a lot of bureaucracy and every institution has its own rules and you have to understand mm-hmm. and to cope with their own type of communication and so on like and there's a lot to it would be a lot to get in like 
a lot of theory there that I have to go in. It's a matter of being at the right moment in the right place as well. Sometimes, you know, to get to know the right people. Unfortunately, it's like that. Or fortunately, it's a lot I don't about know. who you know as well. Not everything, not all the time, but a lot of times, yeah, it matters. It matters, and also, for example, if I put myself in the position of a curator, I like to work with artists I know, and it makes it easier to communicate with them to understand what they do better or things like that. Like, I don't know. It's you don't want to have bad surprises. You don't want to be scared of working with an artist because it's just gonna give up or change his mind or her mind suddenly <laughs> before a show or things like that. That's like a nightmare. No, that's or you know you can trust them because they're gonna deliver the work when they said in time and because they said they're gonna send you this tomorrow they will do it and things like that. Because it's a matter of, of organizing and timing too. And so as an artist I think it's important to to stick to your vision, to the plan when you have one. <laughs> Not to give up easily, <laughs> things and like that. What's your dream exhibition space? So anywhere in the world, let's say you could do an exhibition on anything oh, wow, of your choice. Wow, that's a hard question. Yeah, I know. But it might change, you know. It's like relative. At the moment, this your is Your dream, dream at the moment. At MoMA in New York, probably. New York? Yeah, MoMA in New York, I guess. Mama in New York, and what would the theme be? This I'm not sure, but at the moment I'm so interested. I explore so much uh, art related to smell and vice versa. Not only sound like my thing, I'm very interested at the moment at art that is not always necessary a visual representation. It's more about addressing to your mind and body, like on. Sensorial, because I realize how important is that to me, and yeah, I think I want to experiment with this and to show maybe that it's really important. Maybe not for everyone, but for me it is. So if it's important to me, I want to show what is important to me. Could you see yourself ever moving to New York for artwork? Moving? No, <laughs> traveling, yes, but not moving. Well, let's compare the art scene in New York to that in Berlin a little bit. First of all, I've never been to New York. I've been to United States, I've been there several times, I stay there for a month every summer due to my first art teacher in Romania. That was my greatest chance actually to travel because she got inv she was invited to United States to, to teach during summers for American students and she would take her best pupils with her and we would actually have exhibitions there every summer. So I had an exhibition every summer, I would sell my paintings, that's how I would where, pay my where trips. Where was it? First trip was to Santa Fe, New Mexico. Second was to Atlanta, Georgia. Second time was also to Atlanta, Georgia, then Los Angeles. Two times to Los Angeles. So it was, uh, was an experience. I was eight years old when I traveled first time. So it was something that really opened my... Wow, so young. Yeah, my um, perspectives on traveling, I think that's when I got a taste for travel. Like, mm -hmm. I just knew that this is the world. When we're, when you live just in one place, you live like in a bubble. <laughs> I mean, that's my translation now for it, but um, it was very important to me to travel and to see, because, for example, I I visited the George O'Keeffe Museum in, in Santa Fe that time when I was eight and I was so impressed. It stayed with me, that experience stayed with me all my life. I still remember what the guide explained us, if you can believe, nowadays. And I wow. was just eight. I still remember that painting that really impressed me and what the guide was explaining about. And I still love George O'Keeffe and I still admire her art and her way of being because she was a very powerful woman, like very strong mentally and independent as well. I don't know. I, now, if I think about it, it was, wow. So she's been a big source of inspiration for you over the years. Not only, but, like, it's interesting for me to see that I loved it back then. I still love it. It's those, because I changed my perception now. I learned more. I maybe changed, in a way, taste or anything. But you can, I can still see that there are those things I liked back then are still there. So maybe I, I, I would say I developed. Maybe not, change is not the right word even. I developed, but there are still things that uh, deep down inside are, are still there with me, are still important for me. It's like love at first sight. You, know? <laughs> you still <laughs> your remember, first love, you still remember your like... first love, no? <laughs>
lonely or (laughs) i've only had one my current boyfriend (laughs) (laughs) well that's that's luck i guess (laughs) um what maria for you what's the best part about being an artist what do you love the most about it Oh, that you can be yourself. I know it sounds a bit cliche or anything like that. What does it mean to you to be yourself? To express myself the way I want and without being pointed, judged. The art world would do, though. <laughs> but still, like, uh, never. there's no one there in my studio to tell me, oh, this is the way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and do you find sometimes that doing artwork is relaxing for you or calming for you or exciting for you? Or is it a very emotional thing for you? Let's say you're in your studio and you've been painting for a few hours. How are you usually feeling? Is it different every time? or? Yeah, of course, it's different every time. And sometimes can be very enjoyable. I mean, it's something I like all the time, first of all. But sometimes can be very... I don't know, sometimes I can get very angry because the things didn't come out the way I wanted and because it's not always the way, the things don't always, don't always come out the f- way you want, especially when you experiment with new materials and you're like, okay, now I can just throw it away and just start over again. And it's important to do that too and to accept it. But um, yeah, for me, it also has a lot to do also with emotions, although, as I said, I'm very analytical. I read a lot and I document myself a lot, but maybe also because I want to understand how to use and maybe to control this kind of emotion, because I'm a very emotional person, I really am. Oh, I know. And sometimes this can be a problem, I believe, and or or not, I, I'm, I mean, yes and not, but sometimes I feel like it can... You can, can use it as fuel. Yeah, in arts, yeah, but not in everyday life and other things that can be... Dangerous. Yeah, like, for example, when you drive a car, things like that. (laughs) Or when you drive your bike. Or your bike, you know, like, uh, so I'm aware of that. Yeah, I'm an emotional person, and I think in the past years I tried to learn a lot about myself or something that way, and how can I I, I can um, use this in my work, my artwork. Do you think doing artwork is therapeutic for you in some way? Sometimes can be that um, it can calm me down, like it uh, depends what I'm doing. Cause I have like an artwork I did from one of uh, the exhibitions in the past. And it was a huge role with um, where I was using the um, uh, Chinese ink and the Chinese calligraphy brush because I thought it's so sensitive and it captures easily all the movements. Of, of of my hand of my body and I was using modulated line which I think is a very expressive line to draw basically my work and I would work on this roll of paper every single day it was like a big roll five meters roll, roll of paper wow. the work turned out to be three meters more or less three meters something I don't remember exactly and I would work every day and was almost like um, recording somehow for me how would I feel because the lines were different every day and then in the end to unroll that the exhibition space because I didn't even have enough space to unroll like to see it exactly properly did you notice any patterns yeah it came out to be like a, a huge pattern like changing what was like the was, pattern? Uh, vibrating somehow like wavy like an s like an s sort of was not repetitive actually At the end you could see those changes and that was interesting for me i mean i i knew it that it was not gonna be the same at the end because i didn't feel the same every day so it couldn't be the same so i was like trying to record my myself in a way that's for very, that's very interesting but my emotions i'm saying like i realized how much this kind of Affecting, and I think this is something that will you see it in drawing and painting a lot, not maybe in works that are very technical, where a lot of about thinking about the production process, where if things are clear. Then I don't know, like in sculpture, for example, when you do a sort of installation, I think there is more technical, maybe. So there, I wouldn't say I would be that emotional. <laughs> I would say I would be more analytical, more. Thoughtful. You would be using a different part of yeah, your brain. Yeah, the brain and also the body. Use your body in a different way because it's about gesture as well. 
And also when you have a huge surface of paper, of canvas and whatever, and it depends on your approach and how you move, I think this this makes a difference. Because I was also reading uh, that time when I did this work with the um, calligraphy brush, Chinese calligraphy brush, I started reading and, and looking into their beliefs and process in, in calligraphy. And uh, it was funny that I saw a documentary where a guy a uh, Korean guy this time actually was saying that they're supposed to hold the brush so strong that even if someone comes and takes the brush from their hand, they're supposed to still be able to keep it hold. Wow, it. that must give you tennis elbow. Yeah, and, and that actually you, when you do this kind of signs, you actually tense your core muscles and things like that. And it's about breathing as well. And I said, oh, that's actually interesting. It made me analyze more. That's very interesting. It got you to look at look at things in a different way. Yeah, yeah. So it's really a matter of perspective always. Like even I I I work now on this topic of of realities. Like we all have our own reality, so um we must be naive to think that there's a universal real reality. I think it's more perspective reality. I'm curious to know a little bit more about expressing yourself with art. So let's say that you have somebody and they want to commission an art piece from you and they want a specific type of artwork. It could be a private person, a museum. And let's say that you don't really feel like you want to create that type of artwork. Does this ever happen where you then create it because you you have to or do you only create something when it feels right for you? Do you switch from the expressive part of your brain to the analytical? How do you deal with that type of situation? I am lucky enough, uh, or I was lucky enough so far that I always had the possibility to say no to things I thought uh, were not good for me. And to say yes, obviously, when I think it's a good opportunity to grow as well, because it sometimes this commissioning part can be also um, a, a challenge, no? But of course, it has to be good. It has to feel good, like positive, and that you can do it. And so you wouldn't force yourself no, to create never. an artwork that you didn't feel inspired. Of course, no, to make. totally not. No, that's something I'm not with. <laughs> Some artists are, but that's their problem. But I'm not with. Also, when I curate, I'm. Um, for me, it's very important to work with artists. I, I believe in totally. And I like them totally and so on, so I'm not willing to compromise. Do you collect any artwork yourself? Are there any artists that you know that are becoming a little popular now or are going to be massively popular and so you're making sure you get some of their early artwork? Well, this is something I would love to do more. I didn't. I don't have so much art at home. I bought like maybe um, series from series of works or editions. Because they're a bit cheaper, but I'm not at that point where I can uh, collect more. But I would love to do that. <laughs> I have artworks from my friends <laughs> that I received, and it's I'm always happy if, to receive. I, I have this is heard a about from that. from friends. Like this is the most valuable present like ever. I've heard that sometimes young artists they give one of their artworks to one another. They exchange their artwork in case yeah. one of them gets really famous. Yeah, that's is a, that a common practice. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's yeah. quite cool. Yeah, I should do that more. <laughs> it's a good way to, yeah, especially with those artists I really like. It's amazing. It's just, uh, it's an amazing feeling to have an artwork of an artist you really like. Like it's, it's unlimited happiness. <laughs> I don't know. I cannot even put it in words. Like. <laughs> um. So as we know, technology changes. Our lives have changed dramatically from how they were 20 years ago just with technology. What about artwork? Do you see artwork going through any major transformations coming up, maybe related to technology or related to something else? Oh, yeah, of course, there are artists who work with technology as a medium. Like, I don't know, VR, it's like um, growing and... 
I don't know, there's an artist I know, he works a lot, for example, with um, new technologies, basically. What kind of new technologies? Like uh, experimenting with um, drones, for example, installation where he's using drones and uh, coding. It's involved in his works, like I can't explain it exactly because it's so much technique involved and it's a lot of work in that too. So actually it's how you put this together, it's really interesting for me, The how you put it together to work well from an aesthetic point of view, conceptual Are you thinking everything. about integrating any of that into your own artwork coming up? Who knows, in the future maybe something related to sound, but although I'm not a very technical person, I have to say, like, yeah, I think you have to have an affinity for that too. And this is important, like, to feel... It's good to feel challenged, but also there has to be a point where you feel comfortable too. You want to push your boundaries, but n not so far that you're totally lost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you for translating that for me. <laughs> like, perfect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm, I'm curious to hear more about what the future holds for you. What kind of projects and exhibitions you have coming up? Can you tell us a little bit about where we can see you in the future? Yeah, as I said, not in Berlin also. Both the shows I'm curating now at the moment will be out of Berlin. One in Italy. They're still and being kept secret? One in Italy, in a museum, and one in Romania, in a museum, so... <laughs> so keep uh, your eyes and ears open, and <laughs> we'll find out more. <laughs> um, so before we finish our interview today, I have three final questions I want to ask you that I'm asking all of my guests. So the first question is, one book that changed your life that you recommend everybody read? Well, one book, that's a hard question, uh, but there is one book actually I really love and I th that influenced me a lot after I read it, was um, The Invented Reality, written by uh, Paul uh, Watzelvik. He's an Austrian philo philosopher and scientist who uh, wrote on how we perceive reality. Interesting. I'll have to check and it out. And this is one of the books that was awakening for me. I mean, there are many books there, but this was like, wow. And also because I read it um, during the time I was studying in Italy, I was 20. So I was 20, yeah. And was very awakening, especially at that age. And it's still relevant for me nowadays. So it's influenced the way that you perceive things, the way that you perceive perception, for, perhaps? Yeah, exactly. And it made me question a lot. Uh, our way of being and brain... Uh, yeah, how we experience everything and how we remember as well the things because I realized once at some point I went to someone's place, I remember even now in Milano, I went there the first time and I wasn't in a great mood somehow. I had maybe not the greatest feelings that day and, and ideas and perceptions. I saw everything somehow, after I left that place, I remember everything like in grey, like all the furniture. I, I always thought that their place was with a lot of grey and a bit darker. Wow. And then when I went second time there, I was a bit shocked about the way I remembered the place. Because it was so different. It was totally different. I was like, wow. And I just filtered all that place through... A very personal state of mind then but it was the first time when I realized how strong that was like I was like these colors were not here like wow. why do I remember all these colors like that it's none of what I remember somehow wow that was um very it made me really question and also I think this book was an explanation for myself to like uh, finding answers because I think I think I'm always looking for answers for a lot of questions like we all have questions, no? Deeper or more s or more superficial? I don't know. We all have some questions, like existential questions. <laughs> so now, later in our life, search for meaning. The the no, we all want to believe in something. That's why mm. there. I think even religion exists, or something, in my opinion. Um. So the second question: What is the thing you do when you're stressed to help you feel calm? What What's your top healthy coping mechanism? Oh, wow. Oh, that was a long process for me to discover what actually really helps me because I think this is something very personal. And um, it's, for me, it's moving my body. It's 
meditation and things like that. I don't think it would really for real help me for my way of being because I need also to be active somehow to like feel my body. Exercise, fitness. Yeah, like yoga was uh, was something I used a lot in my most troubling moments. It's something I I used and martial arts when I discovered martial arts too. Uh, yeah. Yoga and martial arts. In martial arts, actually, I've learned how to stay f- to more focused and to trust myself more. Also, to deal with my emotions because also there, there, you can be emotional in martial arts because you don't Why have, not? you don't have so much time to think about your next move. So you have to understand fast about uh, the next move, and you can't show to your opponent your your emotion, no, you, on your because it's something you show on your face. So you have you can give. Uh, cues about your next move when you're sparring yeah you yeah, when you spar yeah because yeah. I, I i'm still doing muay thai i used to do brazilian jiu-jitsu brazilian jiu-jitsu was super challenging because there's like a almost like a game of chess where you have full contact so you have to not to be afraid to <laughs> to have full contact with people you don't really know well basically <laughs> so it's exposing yourself a lot but also it makes you f- living the moment you have to be very present so it was something that helped me release stress and living in the moment and learning how to focus on the moment and you know that's my way of yeah of meditation so to say because some people do that martial arts is for you one of the best um things to relieve stress and yoga yeah both of them because you need both of them I, i can't live uh, I can, if I do one less, then I I don't feel good you, because you need both, yeah. yeah, because you in martial arts I think you tense your muscles a lot, and then you need stretching to re- release them and mm. to stretch your body and your mind because that's what you do for yoga. You know, you stretch your mind too there. Well, I think fitness types of different types of movement are very helpful also for me in times of stress. I think it's very natural for us to to move. Yeah, maybe not for everyone, but for me, I think it's, it works so well. So it's like a recipe for me there. Mm-hmm. Like I use it all the time when... Yeah, because I have periods when uh, I had a time when I used to go to train every single day. Every single day, morning and evening even. So, But it was a time when, uh, yeah, I needed to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I realized that actually I need to connect my mind to the body somehow very strongly because you do that through sports. That sounds very healthy, actually. Yeah, actually it's good that I discovered it because before, I mean, I, I think I will, as a child I was always very sporty, but I had a period in my life where I was not active at all. Like, <laughs> and I lost any sense of, of my body somehow. <laughs> and what can I do with it? Because it's about, you know, finding your limits, possibilities and everything. Um, so for the final question, I want to know one place in the world that you visited that you recommend everyone else visit. That's a hard question, too. Cause there They're are meant so, to be hard. <laughs> there's so many beautiful places I visited. And you can I only love, pick one. I know. If I would have to, like the first one that comes to my mind is uh, Italy, Sardinia. Isola della Magdalena, which is a, a protected uh, natural heritage, uh, still not so contaminated, I don't know, by humans. Uh, it's like a paradise on earth for me. Wow. With blue water, blue deep water. I want to go visit. It's just amazing. Wow. I love I love sea, by the way. I just love sea, and I, I, I mostly love these places where you can smell and hear the sound of, of water, of salty water, and then the blue. And then it's something. also very healing and very healthy. Yeah, it's something I love, the deep, transparent blue <laughs> of the water. <laughs> well, I'm waiting to see your ex- exhibition on the deep, transparent blue <laughs> of the water. <laughs> Yeah, who knows? <laughs> and how, how you hear sound underwater. <laughs> so, thank you for your time today, Maria. Thanks thank you very much us. for inviting me. And, um, yeah. Yeah, good luck with everything. Thank you. And thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Okay, bye. <laughs>